0: I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's a joy to be here with you. As Kevin mentioned 8 years ago, I had the chance to serve an all summer here at this church. But what Kevin didn't mention while he was introducing me this morning is that I also had an ulterior motive for being up here in Abilene. I had just met a pretty little freshman girl at Texas A&M earlier that year. And she happened to live in Abilene, Texas, and so it gave me a great excuse to spend the summer winning over her family and getting to know her while at the same time getting to serve this church. But I just want to encourage y'all with the way that this internship was so formative in my life and in the lives of these other guys that came through it, where now of the five of us that were here that summer, two of them are serving faithfully in youth and college ministry in Dallas, two are overseas in East Asia and China serving as missionaries, And me, well, I'm still stuck in school, trying to finish off a PhD and looking forward to what God has next for me in uh, the next stages of life as I graduate in December. But I can look back to that summer in 2003 and the way that this church invested in all of us and know of the way that it, it particularly impacted each one of us in shaping us for our future ministry. And so I rejoice in that and I celebrate that with you this morning. Now, I want to draw our attention to what the Apostle Paul has to tell us in the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 1 and starting in verse 3, and I want you to follow along with the text with me and listen to what the Apostle says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia, So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Well, we know this weekend is July 4th weekend, where we are celebrating the independence of our country. And we know that freedom for our country comes with a price. You can't have freedom apart from protection. And so when we're here this morning in this nice 72-degrees climate-controlled sanctuary, we have men and women in our, in our armed services all across the world who are there protecting our freedom. Well, I saw an article not too long ago about the air conditioning bill that the U.S. government pays for air conditioning all of the stations that we have around the world. Now, you know how it goes living in West Texas when the heat goes up, So does your electricity bill, right? Now, when I checked last night, the expected high today in Baghdad, Iraq, 113. So you think West Texas heat is hot. They're kicking it up even another notch. And they've got thousands of people, hundreds of thousands all over the world. Do you know what the yearly air conditioning bill for the U.S. military is? It's $20 billion dollars. $20 That's more than the entire amount that the government uses to fund the NASA program. That's more than uh, BP has paid out since the Gulf oil spill. It's a massive amount of money. Now, that's not just running the, the generators and the air conditioners around the clock. What that factors in is the fact that if they want to air condition these camps out in the middle of nowhere, they've got to get the fuel to them. They've got to build the roads that make it there. They've got to handle the supply chain that gets it to them, the delivery trucks, the protection from the enemies who might try to blow up those fuel cargo carrying uh, groups as they go out to the field. And then you have all these military men living in tents and working in things that are not designed with insulation in mind. They're not the most energy efficient Buildings that you're going to find on the planet. And so at all of these stages, you have costs in order to keep our soldiers in comfort. The U.S. government will do whatever it takes to bring comfort to their troops because they know they cannot fight effectively unless they are properly cared for. When we come to the text this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, The the Apostle Paul is talking about the way that God brings comfort to us, his soldiers, following after the warrior king, Jesus Christ. And if the U.S. government will go to the expense of spending $20 billion a year just to provide air conditioning to keep their troops comforted, how much more did God spend for us? How much more does he display for us? No money can count the expense of the shed blood of his one and only son on the cross. No money can count the grace that he pours out daily in our lives by the spirit. Now, notice the way that this text begins. The apostle Paul starts in verse three by saying, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He praises him as father and he points to the fact that he's the father of Jesus. And then right after that, he points to the fact that he's our father. And the only reason that God is our father and not our enemy is because of his son. Because of the faith that we have placed in the shed blood of Christ. He has become our father. He has adopted us to be sons and daughters of God. And one of the things that I miss living in Louisville, Kentucky, is we don't have snow cone stands like y'all have here. It seems like you got almost as many snow cone stands as churches in Abilene, Texas. And since we've been here, we've been to the snow cone stands several times. Because they're great. The kids love them. It's a nice way to cool off at the end of a long day. But you know what I've noticed in the trips that I made to the snow cone stands in Abilene? You don't see many dads at the snow cone stands. I see a lot of single moms bringing their kids around. I see a lot of grandparents taking their kids there to do it. I don't see many dads. And maybe for some of you that you didn't grow up with a father in your house because he divorced your mom at a young age or he was abusive towards your mom or neglected it. And so when you hear the Bible talking about God as father, there's a sense in which it doesn't resonate with you because you haven't experienced the father's love that is talked about here. But when Paul speaks of this, he is talking of a father who will provide for his children, even to the point of sending his own son to death on the cross. That is the type of comfort that he desires to bring. It's a comfort in the midst of conflict that is designed to force dependence on him so that we will no longer rely on ourselves in the midst of the spiritual battles that we face, but that we will depend on God alone. Now, why is it that the Apostle Paul is speaking this word of comfort to the Corinthians? Well, we know that he's already written a letter to them in 1 Corinthians in which there was all sorts of challenges in the church. And we know from reading the book of Acts that Paul planted this church in Corinth through one of his missionary journeys. And in the same way that he had experienced persecution from the outside during his missionary journeys, that had continued in the church from those on the outside. And then in addition to that, there had been turmoil on the inside. And so here is a church That is in distress, and he begins his letter by bringing them a word of comfort that they might have confidence in what God is doing in their lives. Sometimes, doesn't it feel like it's wrong to be down as a Christian? Doesn't it seem at times that it's wrong to mourn or to feel like you are going through life suffering? I mean, so many of the worship songs that we sing are about joy and happiness. We see smiles pasted on everybody's faces as they come in here, and when you ask them how they're doing, it sounds like everything's great. But what the Bible makes clear is that even though we are called to joy in the midst of the gospel, that doesn't mean there's not going to be trials, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be suffering. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be mourning. The question is, how do we respond? Do we respond by looking into ourselves? By mustering up a little more willpower? Do we respond by trying to bury it and internalize it? Or do we respond, as Paul calls us here, by turning to God, by looking to this Father of mercies? And and so we have Paul speaking in verse 3 of God as a Father of mercies. And he goes on next in verse 4 to tell us what this God of mercies does. He tells us that he comforts us in all our afflictions. Whatever the trials of life may be, God brings comfort. You notice what Paul doesn't say there? He does not say when trials come in life, God removes them. When suffering comes in life, God will take them away as quickly as he can. No, that's not always what God does. What God often does is he takes our trials and he turns them into trials. He takes our sufferings and he turns them into victory. And the way that he does that is through the comfort that he provides to sustain us. And notice the, way that, the reason that God does that according to verse 4. He tells us that he comforts us in all our afflictions. Why? So we may be able to comfort all those who experience any kind of affliction. Now, for those of you who have been around Abilene for any length of time, you know that one of the most well-known barbecue joints in town is Harold's Barbecue. And I was very distressed upon arriving in town last week to learn that Harold's is closing at the end of July. And I had to make one last trip down there yesterday in order to get it before I could never have the opportunity to have it again. So I'm sitting at the table eating, and you know, if you've been to Harold's, the line is virtually always out the door, people waiting. And a group of college students came through there, Most of whom, you could tell by their conversation, had been there. They're talking about what they're looking forward to having. But there was at least one of them, this was his first time at Harold's. He had never been there before. And I I overheard one of the guys that had been there regularly, basically coaching them as they waited in line. Now, when you get up there, you're going to need to take a tray. You're going to need to get your, your utensils. They're going to ask you, what do you want? Do you want beef? Do you want turkey? Do you want sausage? What sides do you want? What kind of cobbler? And if you get it wrong, they may kick you out of line. So don't blow it. They, they, don't, they don't want trouble. They're trying to get people through the line as fast as they can. So this guy has been through the experience before, and now he's coming alongside of somebody who's there for the very first time and helping them through the process. He's giving them that kind of coaching. His experience enables to help this other person. Well, the Apostle Paul here in verse 4 is telling us the reason why God brings us comfort now is so that we might be able to help others later. So that when we are experiencing this suffering or this trial or these tragedies around us and asking God, why is this happening, at least in part, the reason is because he is custom-equipping you now to bring comfort to somebody later. So maybe for some of you who just lost a mother or a father in old age, and the, the trials and the sadness that came with that, perhaps God is using that to refine you now so that when one of your close friends experiences the same thing three years from now, you can come alongside them and encourage them in the gospel and help them to find hope. There is a reason that God comforts us in our conflict and it is because he is equipping us to be more effective in working for his kingdom in the future. And the way that that comfort comes about is that the Apostle Paul says next in verse 5 that the Corinthians may either share in his sufferings or they may share in his comfort, but regardless of what they experience, it is all for one purpose. It is to bring comfort and ultimately salvation, that no matter what the trials that come, God is using these things in our life. He is orchestrating them in such a way. He is allowing these things to come so that he might bring us to the end of ourselves where we will finally stop trying to do it on our own and trust the only one that can make it happen, to trust the one that can provide for us. And verse 5 tells us that the comfort that God provides for us, he provides it abundantly. Now you know exactly what the word abundantly means living in West Texas because every summer you experience abundant heat and abundant wind. Just when you think it can't get any hotter, you walk out the door in the morning to get the paper and it's already 92 degrees. And the wind has been flapping in the trees all night long while you're trying to sleep and it's hard to get good rest. It's relentless. It's unyielding. It's overwhelming at times. That is the type of comfort that God provides for the Christian. It's an abundant comfort, an everlasting comfort. And the text tells us in verse 5 that it is through our faith in Christ that it comes. Because when we trust Jesus, when we say there is no other hope for my salvation apart from believing and trusting in you, Christ, what happens is that God takes away our sin and he gives us Christ's holiness. So that now whatever is true of Jesus is now true of you, including the fact that God has comforted him even in the midst of the greatest affliction, suffering on the cross. He too can bring us comfort no matter what the trials may bring. So how does that comfort come? What does that look like in the believer's life? Well, Paul tells us that in verse 6 when he says that the way that God comforts us is by helping us to patiently endure the sufferings that we face in our spiritual battles. So like I said, he doesn't remove those problems and challenges and trials. He helps us to endure, to press on. He comes alongside us and shepherds us through those things. So just last week, I had the opportunity to do something life-changing. I went into the doctor's office. I took off my glasses. I went under a laser eye surgery machine. And now my vision is 20-20 again. So I went through this laser eye surgery process, had my eyes fixed so that now I can see, no longer need these glasses anymore. But I remember as I'm laying in this chair, reclined back under this massive machine. I've got the doctor sitting right behind me. And as this process is about to happen, he's saying, Philip, now here's what's going to happen. The first thing we're going to do is this. And that's going to last for about 10 seconds. And I need you to stay relaxed and stay calm. And once that's done, then this is going to happen next. And and then 30 more seconds, it's going to be all over. And as the process was going on, he's saying, you're doing great. Things are going well. You're doing awesome. Keep it up. We're almost there. Don't stop. Over and over again, he's explaining what's happening, helping me to understand the big picture, but also offering these words of comfort. He's right there with me as that experience is going on. We've got a Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. It's not a doctor speaking behind us. It's a spirit speaking within us. He's speaking words of truth saying, let me help you to understand how these trials fit in the big picture of what God is doing in your life. How he is seeking to make you more like Jesus. He is speaking words of comfort into us that we have a God who cares. Even to the point of sending his son to death on the cross. Keep pressing on. You can make it. This trial will pass. This comfort will continue. Don't give up. All of these things he speaks so that we may be able to patiently endure. So he doesn't take the challenges away. He helps to make a way through it by the power of his spirit. And So Paul tells us in verses 7 and 8 that he has an unshaken hope for this church. That regardless of the challenges they are experiencing, he has a certainty and a confidence. And why is that? Because in verse 8, he gets honest with them. He says, I don't want y'all to be ignorant. I don't want to sugarcoat this. I don't want to try to be politically correct in this. He says, let me tell you what we've been through. He says, I've been through these sufferings. I've been through these challenges. I've been through this persecution. And God sustained me the whole way. And that's why I have an unyielding hope for you. Because the same thing that he did for me is the same thing that he will do for you in this church. And that truth rings true for us. And the the Apostle Paul tells us in verse 8 another reason why God allows these trials and yet comforts us along the way. Look back at verse 8 and notice what it says. I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were utterly burdened beyond beyond our strength, so that we despaired in life. And then in verse 9, listen to this reason. We felt that we had received the sentence of death. But why? That was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. So the reason that you are right now in distress is because God is forcing dependence. God is in the, dep- the business of forcing dependence on himself, of shattering self-reliance, of shattering self-pride and self-preservation and saying, you can't do it apart from me. He says, these trials made us despair of life, but even in the midst of that, it was to force us to rely on God. I'm the parent of a two year old and a one year old, and as this two year old has grown, I have seen the patterns of a desire to demonstrate self reliance in his life. So there are things that I could help him with that would take no time at all for him to accomplish that he wants to do on his own. I do, it, not daddy. I do. So I let him do it and fail, let him do it and fail, let him do it and fail till he finally realizes that he can't do it on his own strength and then he turns to me in dependence and trusts me to help him do what I could have done for him all along. Isn't that the way that our Heavenly Father works? He is letting us come to the end of ourselves that we might come to the beginning of him. So that we might not rely on ourselves, but on this God of all comfort. And notice the way that verse 9 ends. It's a God of all comfort who raises the dead. He took the rotting flesh of Jesus' carcass and breathed new life into it. He took blood that had hardened in the blood vessels of Jesus Christ and began it pumping again. And you think that God can't help you through what you're experiencing right now? The Apostle Paul says, come on. This God has raised the dead. He can help us through anything. There is nothing that can overcome us who have put our faith in Christ. And so he says, do not look to yourselves. Rely on this God who raises the dead. And verse 10 tells us that it's a God that not only raised the dead, but over and over again in the life of Paul has sustained him. He has helped him when he's been persecuted in the past. And Paul says that he knows that he will give him help in the future and that he sets his future hope on him. And the way that we set our hope for the future changes the way that we live now. With us living in Kentucky, everybody up there loves pulled pork barbecue. They don't know about the greatness of brisket. And so when I know I have a trip on the way down to Texas, I don't subject myself to the disappointment of enjoying some pork barbecue because I know in just a few weeks that if I wait long enough, I can have all the brisket I can handle when I get down here. And so knowing what's going to happen in the future changes the way that I choose to live in the present. That's what Paul is driving at here. This one that raised the dead. This one that has given us a future hope. Who will return and finally give us full and final comfort. The way that we know he is returning and the way that we know he is continuing to comfort us regardless of what we experience in our lives. Should change the way that we live now. Should transform the way that we walk into work tomorrow or on Tuesday morning after the holiday is over. The way that it changes the way that you talk to your wife. It changes the way that you encourage that best friend that you haven't seen for three years on the phone who calls you this week and says, Listen, it's not working with my wife anymore, and I think we're going separate ways. The comfort that God brings you and that He will bring you should change the way that you live, even in the present. So, Paul closes this text in verse 11. By showing us that there is not just an individual component to the way that God comforts us, but there's also a corporate dimension. There's a way that we as believers come alongside one another to encourage one another in the midst of trial. He says in verse 11 that the way that you can encourage one another in your trials is a comfort that comes through praying for one another through coming alongside one another and being involved in each other's lives and lifting one another up in prayer. You know, as I drive around town here in Abilene, everywhere I look on Treadway or Buffalo Gap Road or down 84, I see signs that say hail damage repair. Y'all must have had a pretty significant storm not too long ago. So there are all these temporary signs. If you've had problems from from the hail damage, come here and we'll get it fixed. But I'll tell you what, if I come back here at Christmas, I, get, I, I guarantee you all those signs are gone unless there's been a new storm that comes through because they only roll them out when the opportunity is there to make money and they roll them back whenever they're done. It's just a temporary effort at helping. Well, there's a real danger in the Christian life for us to treat comforting others in the same way. Where we roll out that temporary help, we pretend as if we genuinely care when the times are the toughest, but we don't have that sustained persevering, praying, persistence, and encouraging and comforting those who are going through trials. And the Apostle Paul is calling us to exactly that. As we close this morning, I'm reminded that uh, not too long ago, my sister had the chance to go on a road trip out to Florida. And she got to watch the space shuttle launch that happened most recently. You know, we got one more before the whole NASA program's done, but she got to see this next to last one. And after that space shuttle went up to the International Space Station, there was a major news story that came out as the astronauts did one of these spacewalks. because while they were out there in their full suits in the middle of outer space, one of them began to have a significant problem with one of his eyes. He was reporting back to Houston saying it feels like there's something stuck in there. You know how when something gets in your eye, and you just want to rub it or scratch it. And so it kept tearing up. But he's got this gigantic helmet on. It's not as if he can just pop it open in outer space and reach in there, scratch it, and close it back, and everything's fine. And so they're trying to figure out, is there anything that we can do to bring relief to this guy who is in discomfort? And finally, they were able to figure out a way that if he brought his arm up under his helmet, there was a, a loose strap in the helmet that he could kind of rub right against his eye and get him some relief. But one of the interesting things that this article said that I had never thought about before, this guy says the problems with tears in outer space is they stay right on your eye. Because there's no gravity, there's nothing to pull them away and, and to remove them from right there in the problem. So it continues to cloud your vision. That absence of gravity prevents your own normal functionings from bringing relief. The message the Apostle Paul brings us this morning, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, this message of hope, is that we have a gospel with gravity. That no matter what the tears that come, no matter what the trials we face, The gravity of God's grace will pull those tears away, will bring us relief, so that our vision is not clouded, so that we might set our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, so that we may be faithful in the spiritual battles that God has before us, because God comforts us in all our afflictions.